Please open your Bibles to Luke 18, verses 18 through 30. The passage may be found in your pew Bibles on page 877. I will be reading from the English Standard Version, which is a translation that Pastor Wes Holland will be preaching from. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it then said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this life and in the age to come eternal life. May God bless to our understanding this reading from His Holy Word. Please join with me in prayer. O Lord, we ask that you would uh, bless not only the reading but also the preaching of your word to the ears and to the hearts of your people. Lord, I pray that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts that uh, we may know the hope to which you have called us in Christ Jesus our Lord. We ask in his name, amen. At age 19, when I firmly decided uh, to pursue a calling to be a minister, it was a given in my mind that it would be a life of scarcity, that it would be a life of poverty. Uh, My only point of reference was the country Baptist uh, pastor uh, in the church uh, where I grew up in Palmetto, Georgia, and uh, it seemed as if uh, they never really had much money. And then the pastor who was discipling me uh, when I was a college student, uh, he had maybe two adult families, and the rest were college students that he had led to the Lord. So he, wasn't, he didn't have any money. And so I figured... God calling me to the ministry, the best I could hope for was to stay one step ahead of poverty. And I had to wrestle with that prospect. 
Uh, was I willing to live that sort of life? Uh, was I willing to bring a wife and children into that lifestyle? And of course, because I believed God was calling me into the ministry, my answer was a resounding yes. I was very willing to follow Jesus wherever and whatever the cost. Many times as a Christian, I've had to say no to different things in order to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I look back at some of those things that I've said no no to, and I wonder, how was it that easy to say no to this or that thing, or to give up this or that opportunity? But in hindsight, I don't think that I've ever given up anything. In fact, I'm glad that I've had the opportunities to sacrifice for Jesus Christ. Um, Frankly, uh, I live my life being overwhelmed with the blessings that God has given me. Uh, I am a happy and contented man. And as we move through the sermon this morning, I'm going to challenge us with our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, At points in this sermon, it is going to seem demanding, but I want to remind you right from the beginning of this sermon that Jesus is faithful. Uh, Commitment to Jesus will never, ever impoverish any of his followers. So don't be like the young rich ruler that we're going to meet here in this passage who went away from the Lord Jesus Christ with great sadness because he was, unwilling, he, was, he was unwilling to entrust himself and his wealth to Jesus. We call this, uh, this ruler who approached Jesus the, the young rich ruler uh, because Matthew and Mark's accounts uh, refer to him as being young. He was likely some type of civil magistrate, and he was very wealthy. And so he came to Jesus with this question. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a great question. It's a question that we should all ask. What should I do to inherit eternal life? We live here in this world, but there is another world. There is eternity. And that should be a question that we should have settled in our minds, in our hearts, So many in today's world simply do not ask that question. I ask people all the time, uh, what if you were to die tonight? Do you know for certain whether you'd go to heaven? I don't know. I hope so. Well, let's say you did die tonight and God said, why should I let you into my heaven? The answer I get most of all is, well, that's a good question. I hope I'd go to heaven. I've done some good things. I haven't been a bad person. I hope so. And they've never seriously asked that question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? The the rich young ruler seems like a humble young man. He does not appear to be challenging challenging Jesus with this question like the, the other religious leaders were doing. He seems humble. He seems to me to be earnest. Much is made about Jesus rebuking him for calling 
uh, Jesus' good teacher. Maybe, as many commentators suggest, he was trying to flatter Jesus. And Jesus responded, why do you call me good? There are none good but God alone. I think the reason Jesus answered the way he did was he was setting the expectation that the rich young ruler was not good because no one is good but God alone. In fact, in the very next breath, Jesus starts listing off several of the Ten Commandments, and he does so in no particular order. Jesus listed off number seven, then he went to number six, then he went to number eight, number nine, and then back to number five. Why did he list them in that particular order? I don't know. The rich, well, I guess I should read it. Uh, I'll just start with verse 18. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And the rich young ruler did not catch what Jesus was saying when Jesus said, none is good but God alone. You can hear it in his response in verse 21. He says, after Jesus lifted off those uh, commandments, he said, all these I have kept from my youth. I'm tempted to believe that this young man may have been an, an externally good person, Maybe, very likely, he never committed actual adultery. He never murdered another person, probably because he was great. He had a lot of wealth. He didn't steal from other people or tell lies about his neighbors. Wouldn't surprise me if he was respectful to his mother and his father. Jesus could have challenged him on any of these commandments and shown the young man that those laws are not just external laws, but are inward laws as well. Remember how Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you look at a woman lustfully and you have committed adultery with her in your heart. Or if you hate another person, you have murdered him in your heart. But Jesus doesn't go after his internal sins. Instead, he pointed the rich young ruler to uh, the, the young man's life-dominating sin, which was the love of riches. The rich young ruler was outwardly obedient to many commandments, but he was disobedient to the fundamental commandment, the first commandment, to have no other gods before the true God. His wealth was his God. And as several commentators pointed out, his problem was not that he had great possessions, but that his possessions had him. His money was an idol, and his, his great wealth sat in first place in his heart, in the place that was reserved for God. So listen to how Jesus uncovered the young rich ruler's idolatry, verses 22 and 23. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack, 
Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. This is not a requirement that Jesus makes of everybody. To become a Christian, you don't need to sell all your possessions and give them away to the poor. But there must be a willingness on your part to give up everything for the Lord Jesus. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, you must be willing to give it up, all of it. Are you willing? We'll come back to this question. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that you must come to him with unqualified surrender. You cannot negotiate with Jesus to keep a little slice of your life for yourself over which Jesus cannot exercise his rule. If there is some area in your life where you are saying to Jesus, that is off limits to you, that is the area of your life that is a functional God sitting in the place of your desires that is reserved for God alone. Surrendering your life to Jesus Christ will mean different things for different people. Our Lord is the good shepherd. He calls us to follow him in different ways. He knows what dominates our hearts. But in order for us to inherit eternal life, we must all follow him. He may say to the young rich ruler, give away everything. He may say to someone else, follow me and become a missionary. He may say to someone else, uh, stop uh, with this hobby or that hobby that is dominating your life. Whatever. But all of us must follow him. Look at the, the second half of verse 22. He says, you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. A a disciple, by definition, is a follower. A disciple of Jesus Christ, by definition, is a follower of Christ. If you belong to Jesus, you will be willing to follow him anywhere he leads. How do you know where Jesus wants you to go as a follower? I can't tell you that. Uh, No one could have told me before I became a Christian, God's going to call you into the ministry. Although someone in 10th grade did say that I would be a minister, and I thought he was a fool. (laughs) Um, But uh, I do know that he wants you to be willing to turn away completely from any and all idols, any functional gods that might have your devotion, uh, that God might, or that you might be substituting and trusting in instead of the true God. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 16, verse 13. We're going through the book of Luke, but we've been going at such a pace that I would be surprised that none of you can remember what was in Luke 16. Uh, even though it was only a couple of chapters back. But here's what it said in Luke 16, verse 13. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so Jesus is telling this young rich ruler, 
You cannot serve God and your great wealth. You've got to be willing to give up that great wealth if you're going to be my disciple. Because Jesus, without saying it, is taking his finger and he is pressing on the intention of the thoughts of this young ruler's heart. And he's pressing right on the issue where uh, this young rich ruler is most in rebellion to God. And so that's why the young rich ruler turned away. His money was his master. Again, verse 23. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. He had to turn away from Jesus in order to continue being devoted to his wealth. J.C. Ryle, the 19th century um, Anglican bishop, commented on this verse saying, Many are ready to give up everything for Christ's sake, except one darling sin, and for the sake of that sin, they are lost forevermore. C.S. Lewis, he had to wrestle with the idea of giving his, his life completely to Jesus Christ. He said, There was no region, even in the inmost depth of one's soul, which one could surround with a barbed wire fence and guard with a notice of no admittance. And that was what I wanted. I wanted some area, however small, of which I could say to all other beings, including God, this is my business and mine only. And C.S. Lewis realized that even in that area, especially in that area, he needed to give that area to God. So I ask you again, are you willing to give yourself and that which you love more than anything else on this earth and entrust it to the Lord Jesus Christ? I remember uh, when uh, Rachel was getting ready to be born. Rachel is our firstborn child. And I was, I think I was having my morning devotions and I would often journal and I asked this question, uh, would I be willing to uh, die right now? Am I so eager to see the Lord Jesus that I'd be willing to die today? And my honest answer was, no, I want to meet my child Lord, I will die the day after she is born, but I really want to meet my child. And it was a struggle. And I went through that day just wrestling with the Lord and wrestling with my own conscience to the point where I could say, God, I so want you that I am willing to die today before I get to meet my child because anything that we love here on this earth that gets our devotion above God is an idol. It functions as a God in our life. And Jesus says, as he's saying to the young rich ruler, see either me talking about himself or 
you will not be saved. What is our heavenly treasure? Jesus says here in verse uh, in verse twenty two or twenty yeah twenty two, he he says to the young rich ruler, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. What is our heavenly treasure? What is it that is worth giving up all that is precious here in this life to have heavenly treasure? What is this heavenly treasure? Well, the heavenly treasure is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, who created the universe by his powerful command. Jesus, who holds all things together. Jesus, who so loves sinners that he embraced the cross with his shame and his anguish and his pain. Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is our treasure. Who or what can ever begin to compare to him? And in Jesus, we have a glorious salvation. In Jesus, we have eternal life. In Jesus, we have an adoption into God's family. And so is there anything that you love so much that it is keeping you away from God? Is there any sin that you will not renounce? Any relationship that you will not release? Any treasure that you will not relinquish in order to follow Jesus Christ? That's the upshot of this passage. There are a lot of books and preachers that ignore Jesus' call to follow him in full surrender. They tell you, as long as you believe in Jesus, believe these set of, this set of facts about Jesus, pray that prayer, then you're saved. There's nothing about surrender. There's nothing about repentance. In the gospel, they make it into a simple mental ascent. The gospel is not simply believing a set of facts. The gospel is the power of God for your salvation. The gospel is a life-changing, transforming, direction-turning power. You cannot come to God on your own terms. You must come surrendering yourself, including your desires, including your abilities, including your relationships, including your hobbies, including your time, including your wealth, including your future. You must count the cost. You must ask yourself, is it worth it? Is Jesus worth it? Can I entrust myself to him without reserve? Do you have the ability to surrender and entrust yourself to Jesus on your own? No, you don't. It's God's work. Listen to Jesus in verses 24 through 27. Jesus, looking at him with sadness, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, 
Then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. It's uh, a little amusing and at the same time infuriating to read uh, different commentators try and uh, redefine what Jesus is saying about this uh, forcing the, the camel through an eye of a needle. They say, well, there's this needle gate that a, a, a camel would have to bend his head to get through with some difficulty. That's not what Jesus is talking about. This is classic Jesus humor. It is impossible for a, ca- for a camel to go through the eye of a sewing needle. It's easier for that to happen than for you to save yourself. But your salvation doesn't rely on yourself. It relies on God. And what is impossible with man is possible with God. I remember when I first called on Jesus, I was so aware of my own hypocrisy that I absolutely knew I could not save myself. I don't even think I asked God to save me. The, the best I can recollect is I was crying out, Jesus, I'm so sinful, I'm such a hypocrite, I'm so undeserving of your salvation, and I won't be saved unless you save me. Have mercy on me. And all of a sudden, my desire started to change. My habits started to be realigned. My life was transformed to the point that my mom asked me, have you joined a cult? No, mom. I've just just become a believer in the Lord Jesus. But it was the Holy Spirit at work in me. It's God's work. Salvation is God's work. And if you despair of not being able to be saved. Go to Him. God, save me. Not because of anything in me, but only because of your mercy and your faithfulness and your promise to save me through Jesus Christ. Salvation is God's work. Well, the weightiness of what Jesus was saying began to dawn on Peter and the other disciples, and Peter needed reassuring. So he said to Jesus, See, we have left our homes and we followed you. So Jesus reassured him, reassured the disciples. Jesus returned to the theme that he introduced in verse 22 about having treasure in heaven. However, he also spoke to them about having treasure here on earth, on this side of eternity. Look at verses 29 and 30. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus is saying to Peter, Entrusting your life to Christ is worth it. It is worth it to follow Jesus when doing the right thing makes you unpopular at work or unpopular in school. Jesus is worth it. It is worth it 
when you have to say no to a romantic relationship that is hindering your personal growth in holiness and godliness. Jesus is worth it when sinners seem to be having all the fun. Jesus is worth it even if he calls you to go to some faraway place, uh, far away from your family in order to serve Christ as a missionary. Any and all sacrifices are worth it if those sacrifices are for the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is giving us an absolute promise here in verses 29 and 30. I'm going to read it again because I want you to hear the starkness, the truthfulness here, the unwavering, unequivocating promise that he gives us. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. This is a promise that belongs to you. This is not a promise that only belonged to those disciples. Jesus is faithful to that promise today as he was to his disciples. No one who gives up, gives something up for the kingdom of God will fail to receive God's blessing. Everyone who follows Jesus will gain what he promises to offer. The disciples left behind loved ones to follow Jesus. So Jesus said that they will receive a greater family as part of the family of God. And indeed they did. And in the church, we have the family that we need. We are a church family because we have been willing to leave all in order to follow him. And we all together as a follower or as a, as a congregation, are following Jesus together. Jesus is putting forward a spiritual principle here. The disciples uh, left behind family, and so they received a greater family. And I think God, he doesn't give us a one-to-one correspondence. Like if you give $10,000 uh, to the church or to a missionary, God's not promising to turn around and give you that $10,000 back, but he's going to give you an equivalence. I think that's the principle that Jesus is setting up here. Um, there's nothing that I have given up for Jesus that I have regretted. Um, my life is blessed beyond anything that I could have planned for myself. I want to tell you, and I hope you know it. Jesus is worth it, regardless of the sacrifices. And beyond the blessings in this life, he says uh, at the end of verse 30, we have eternal life. He says, in this time and in the age to come, eternal life. Eternal life is endless in its duration. But it's more than that. It will be an eternally blessed life in quantity, length, and in quality. We are promised eternal life. 
We will never, ever struggle with sin again when we go to be with Jesus. We will never, ever be unhappy or sad. There will never, ever be any physical or emotional pains. We will see loved ones who are in Jesus. We will get to enjoy their presence forever. We will never have to say goodbye to them. We have in Jesus Christ everlasting blessedness. And then we will worship God face to face. We will live in glory forever. Make no mistake. Jesus is worth it. Entrust yourself to him as we pray together. Lord Jesus, you are glorious. And you are glorious in everything that you have promised for us. Your salvation is glorious. The life you have promised for us in this life and in the next is glorious. Oh Lord, our hearts are idle factories, finding replacements for you, finding different things to trust in. God, help us to keep you, to keep the Lord Jesus Christ front and center. Oh, Lord, I pray that if there are any here who do not know the Lord Jesus, who are holding back because they are holding out a different hope, I pray that you would bring them to repentance, bring them to yourself. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.